Um, my name is Kerry Smith. If you, if you don't know who I am, I'm one of the pastors here at Freedom Village, and I have the privilege to share with you this morning. Um, we're, kind of, we're kind of taking turns on vacation, and Pastor James is about to, to head out. Pastor Levi's on vacation right now, and I'll be heading out in July. So we're, we're also sharing um, sermon duties. So that's my job this morning. And, and this morning, we're going to be going through our One Another series. We're continuing in our One Another series, which is a topical series. If you guys don't, don't know what that is, it basically means instead of going verse by verse through a passage, we're looking at what the whole Bible says about a certain topic. And this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the command to love one another. Um, two weeks ago, Pastor Levi shared with us what the Bible says about encouraging one another. And last Sunday, Pastor James focused on the importance of forgiving one another and how to practically approach that. And, and I'm excited to share about love, which really is the foundation of all of these one another commands. Um, so I'm going to jump right in and look at, we're going to look at John 13, 34. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So one of the things I do to prepare for a sermon is I ask questions, a lot of questions. And my first question here was, why did Jesus say, a new command I give to you. Um, because this is actually a commandment that's given in the Old Testament. And there's a similar command that he gives earlier in Matthew. Um, so it's not really new. But if you're familiar with the book of Leviticus, you know that it's a book of rules or laws. And this is exactly where we find this command about love. Leviticus 19.18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So at first glance, this command looks pretty much the same as the one that Jesus gives. But when you look carefully, it's actually very different um, than what Jesus is commanding in John 13. The Leviticus command says, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the, the command that Jesus gives says, love one another just as I have loved you. So, so what Jesus is doing is he's setting the bar or the standard even higher than the Leviticus uh, command. The Old Testament command says, love others in the same way that I love you. Jesus says, in the way that I love you, in that same way, love one another. So he's calling his followers to a higher standard because his love is not mixed up with sinful motives. His love is perfect. The Hebrew word that is used in Leviticus 19 refers to human love, whereas, interestingly, the Greek word that Jesus uses um, is the word agape, which means the highest form of love, the kind of love that the Father has for all of humanity. One description I found of agape says that agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. 
And that's what Jesus is commanding here, love like me. I love you sacrificially. I love you without selfish motives, without expecting anything back. Love one another that way. So this is clearly a new commandment. And Jesus is giving this new command to his disciples in the upper room. This is during the Last Supper. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. And Judas has just run out the door to go and betray Jesus. And he says to the remaining 11, love one another as I have loved you. So if this command was given from Jesus to his disciples, how do we know that it applies to us today as well as those 11 disciples who were there that evening? And if it does apply to us, who are we to love And how do we love like Jesus loves us? Those are some of the things we're going to dig into. Um, Questions are a great way to understand Scripture. And when you read your Bible, I encourage you to read it with a notepad beside you. Um, And if you have a question, write it down. And and then ask your friends, ask your missional family uh, members, your missional family leader, ask one of our leaders here at Freedom Village. We need to be asking questions. So how do we know that this commandment was for us or is for us today and not just for the 11 disciples in that room that evening? Another important way to understand the Bible is to compare it with itself. And uh, if one passage says something, does another passage confirm that same thing? And we can wholeheartedly say, yes, here, there are several passages that confirm that this this command is for everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. But the passage that I want to look at specifically here is in 1 John, 1 John 4. We're going to jump around a little bit between these verses. It says, starting in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. So John is writing this to the churches in Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. And he's encouraging them to love one another, but he's also incredibly blunt here. Um, I love 1 John because it's just a, a straightforward book about who we should be as followers of Jesus. And he repeatedly comes out and says several times throughout this book, if you're not obedient to God, or if you're not full of love, or if you're not making an effort, you're probably not a follower of Jesus. He he just clearly spells it out, and that's what he's doing right here in this passage that I read. Verse 8 says, but anyone who does does not love does not know God. And further down in verse 20, it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, 
he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And you can't get any more clear than that. John just smacks us in the face with a bunch of truth, doesn't he? Um, But back to my original question, is Jesus's command, this new command for all of us today? And the answer is absolutely. It's for all of his followers. Um, John takes it a step further and says, if you aren't loving one another, there's probably something wrong. And, and I'm not saying these things today or reading these scriptures to discourage anyone in this room today or watching online, um, but I, I, I read these things and I say these things to encourage you to think about what, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and to encourage you to press on and to grow in him. So we've looked at this new command from Jesus in John 13, 34, to love one another like he loves us. But how do we do that? Again, the, the Greek word agape that Jesus uses points us in that direction because it literally refers to the kind of love that the Father has for us. In other words, we are commanded to love like God loves us. And Jesus says that, love like I have loved you. So, so how does God love us? Well, what's one of the most famous verses in the Bible? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the scripture is filled with references uh, on how God loves. John fifteen thirteen, uh, in John fifteen thirteen, Jesus says, "Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one li- one's life for one's friends." So there's so much here. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is driven by grace. We don't deserve it. And God's love is actually our standard for love. Back to 1 John 4, whoops. Back to 1 John 4, uh, uh, verse 16 says, God is love. But the majority of all of our experiences with love or our interactions with love are with other human beings, right? Initially, we learn what love is by observing and experiencing love with other people, with family, with friends. And, and we've all learned what love is from them and by loving them back. I want to read a great quote from Paul David Tripp. If you haven't read any of his books, I encourage you to check him out. Uh, he says, all the human love we've experienced has been flawed in some way, but not God's love. His love is perfect and perfectly steadfast forever. Steadfast means constant. It means it doesn't change. So we've all grown up experiencing flawed love because we've all grown up surrounded by other humans. And God has made us in his image, but unfortunately sin has distorted that image. And unfortunately sin gets in the way. But true love doesn't involve things like pride or selfishness. It's not motivated by these things. Love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This passage from 1 Corinthians um, not only describes true love, it is a description of God himself. We learn what true love is from true love. God is love, and love is not just something that he offers. It's not just an action or an experience for him. It is not something outside of him. It is him. God is the standard for love because God is love. And, and this is what is so hard for us sometimes when we think about God because we often picture him as father by comparing him to our earthly fathers. We often picture him as king by comparing him to the less than perfect authority figures we've had in our lives. And we often understand the love he not only offers, but that he embodies by comparing him or comparing that love to the flawed human love that we've all experienced. And we need to be really careful not to do that, not to compare or associate who God is with our human counterparts, because then we end up with an idea of God that is not really who God is. And it's easy to do that because we understand most things through our experiences. That's why it's so important for us to be in the Word every day, to, to spend time with Him in prayer. Um, and yes, to know and trust Him even through our experiences, but as He works in us and through us individually and together as a church body. So what I'm trying to say is that when we think of Him as Father, he is the standard of father. When we think of him as king, he is the standard of king or authority in our lives. When we think of him as love, he is the standard of love. He is the epitome of these things. Epitome means the ultimate example of. And, and all of this is just a long-winded way of saying that we truly learn what love is from him because he is the author of love God is love. So who are we called to love? This is one that could cause a little bit of confusion because uh, we've looked at how to love Jesus like he loves us. We've looked at uh, if this command is for us, and it is, but who is this love directed to? Doesn't God command us to love everyone? Well, believe it or not, some of these one another commands are actually just for the church. Not all of them, but some of them. And Jesus, love one another in John 13 is frankly just for the church. Let me explain this. In Matthew 22, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. And one of the Pharisees asks Jesus a question that he thinks is impossible to answer. Which is the greatest commandment in the law, he says. And Jesus answers in Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's brilliant because the Old Testament law really can be boiled down to commands related to worshiping God and related to concerning others. And so we've already kind of talked about this. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And when he says neighbor, the Hebrew word here essentially means everyone you come into contact with. And I'm talking about the Hebrew word in Leviticus when, when, when Leviticus commands that. In John 13, 34, Jesus is talking to his 11 remaining disciples. And he says, love one another just as I have loved you. And then in verse 35, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this really is a command just for the church. All people will know that we are followers of Jesus by the love that we show each other. And, and yes, Jesus says in Matthew 22, we are still commanded to love everyone we come into contact with. Um, but when it comes to other believers, we are to love them in the same way that Jesus loves us, sacrificially motivated by grace. And it's that higher standard that we were talking about, right? Again, I don't want us to be confused here. That doesn't mean that we don't love unbelievers. We are called to love everyone. But when it comes to other believers, we are called to a higher standard of love, agape love. I came across a a few other one another commands related to love, and I also want to look at these this morning. Um, The first one is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, tolerate one another in love. It doesn't really sound like the best command, to be honest, um, because you see, tolerate means that you allow something to happen even though you disagree with it. Um, For example, you may be reading a book in a quiet cafe and a a bunch of loud people come in and sit next to you. And instead of telling them to, to be quiet, you continue to read your book. You don't approve of the noise, but maybe you just accept it. You tolerate it. And that's kind of how this is, but there's a big difference here. I think um, a better translation is in the ESV. It says, bear with one another in love. But I really like how the, the NLT translates this verse. It says, instead of tolerate one another in love or bear with one another in love, it says, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And that's a lot closer to the Greek word that Paul uses uh, in Ephesians. Basically, what Paul is saying here in his letter to the Ephesians is that they need to be gracious to each other because of their love uh, for each other. They need to allow each other to make mistakes. If someone messes up, we shouldn't immediately write them off or throw them out. And unfortunately, that tends to happen a lot in the church. If someone makes a big mistake, there often isn't reconciliation. Either that person is told to leave or they're shunned or ignored and leave because of the awkwardness and the embarrassment of a situation. And I really think that if we weren't afraid to share our mistakes with each other, um, we could move past them a lot quicker. 
And we're afraid to share our mistakes because of what I just mentioned, a lack of grace. This isn't just mentioned here in Ephesians either. The Bible actually gives us a process for helping brothers and sisters out of sin. And it isn't to ignore sin. Pastor James brought this up in his sermon last week. Jesus says in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and confront him privately. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, regard him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So there's a process here. And I think our sinful inclination is to skip the process and go to the giving up on the person part. But if, we're, if we really follow this teaching, then not only would less people leave the church, but there would be a lot more room for moving past our mistakes. And we all need help moving forward. We all need help moving past our mistakes. Unfortunately, it's not just sin that divides us. Diversity is also something that can divide. Diversity of opinion, diversity of tradition. A lot of us are from different church backgrounds, different denominations. Diversity of culture, diversity of careers. Freedom Village is a very diverse church, maybe even more so than the early church in Acts. Um, What I'm trying to say, though, is that if, if we're not careful... I mean, don't get me wrong, this is a, diversity is a great thing, but if we're not careful, it has the potential to divide us. I want to read a little bit more of that Ephesians 4 passage, starting in verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, That's the verse we just looked at, tolerating one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul is calling the Ephesian church, and really this applies to all believers. He's calling the Ephesian church to be united despite their diversity. The Ephesian church was diverse in the sense that it consisted of Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles brought their different cultures with them, and Jews brought their culture. And I'm sure there was conflict because of it. I know firsthand how two different cultures can cause problems when they live and serve together. And I happen to be in that situation. My wife is Korean, and I am Canadian. And I expect things to be done a certain way, and she expects things to be done a certain way. Um, for example, sometimes I forget something on my way out the door, and I like to tie my shoes, so I don't really want to take them off when I go back to grab it. Um, but in Korea, you guys are laughing because you know, in Korea, if you, you have to take off your shoes, right, when you go into a house. You have committed a terrible sin if you do not take off your shoes at the door. And you will cause disunity if you wear your shoes in a house in Korea. What I'm trying to get at here is that 
the, there are all these little cultural differences, all this diversity really does have the potential to cause major problems in the church. And Paul recognizes this, recognizes this and he calls the Ephesian church to first have an attitude of humility, gentleness, patience, to bear with one another, to make allowance for each other's faults, and then to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And, and that's an important word, maintain. We don't create unity with each other as believers, believe it or not. God has already united us. And he has united us under the headship of Jesus as his body, his body, right? He has united us, and it is part of our calling, as Paul says here in Ephesians, to maintain that unity. So how do we do that? How do we maintain unity with each other? I want to look at another passage. This is also Paul, but he's talking to the church in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, it says, Put on, then, as God's chosen, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This sounds familiar. Sounds like the Ephesians passage, right? Bearing with one another. There's that term again. And if anyone has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Pastor James read that verse last week. And then in verse 14, it says, and above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love one another is the key. The bond which maintains the peace and the unity that we already have in Christ is love. So I don't take off my shoes at the door because my wife is angry. I take off my shoes at the door because I love her. Um, And she doesn't yell at me when I forget she bears with me and she allows, she makes allowance for my mistakes because she loves me. I, I think she's probably watching at home. She's like, no, you never take your shoes off at the door. <laughs> the reality is that love takes work and Jesus commands it because it requires effort. And Paul lays out the attitude that we need to have to be able to love one another. It requires humility. It requires gentleness. It requires patience. It requires grace. These are all the things that we are working out as Christ is working in us, in our hearts. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And the Spirit is planting these seeds in us. Uh, And with his help, we're exercising these muscles. We're growing in these areas. And hopefully, most of all, we're growing in love. I want to look at one more command that has to do with loving one another, and this one is directed to the church in Rome. Romans 12 says, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. And the ESV, that's the NIV, the ESV says, love one another with brotherly affection. So literally love your church family like you love your real family. And Paul has started this chapter with a very well-known passage. We all know this passage 
uh, chapter uh, verse one says, "I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship." And then he he proceeds to explain um, that we all have different gifts and that we need to be serving one another to be a living sacrifice. And then in verse 5, he says, In Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So if we belong to Christ, then we belong to each other. I don't think that's easy for us to understand in our modern society um, we're taught at a young age that independence is the goal. At least in, in the West, we're taught that independence is the goal. And, and you're weak if you have to rely on other people or if you're serving other people. And success is more admirable if you do it on your own. And we're hit every day with the philosophies of marketing. Think of yourself first. You deserve happiness at every cost. Um, you can only depend on yourself. We're bombarded with these ideas uh, every day through social media and through advertising. And so we're almost swimming against the river when we're trying to live out the Christian life. So how do we love one another with brotherly affection? How do we devote ourselves to one another in love? Again, context is the key to understanding individual passages or verses. And, and Paul tells the Roman church exactly how to do that. In the same chapter, verse 10, whoops. I don't think my thing is working, guys. Oh, there we go. Okay, maybe I don't have it up there. I'll just read it for you guys. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So one important thing to note here is when God commands us to do something, we can start with the Bible to figure out how to do that command. What does the scripture say about this commandment? That's what we should be asking ourselves. And here it's clearly laid out for us. Another thing for us to remember is that when God commands us to do something, the Holy Spirit will help us figure it out. And John sixteen thirteen says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Galatians five sixteen says, But I say, walk by the spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then Paul goes on to talk about the fruits of the Spirit in this passage, which, is, which are the result of walking by the Spirit, like he says in verse 16. And then down in verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And another translation of that verse says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And that's what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit guides and leads us if we're listening, right? So to sum this up, Jesus commands us to love one another just as he loves us. And I didn't mention this before, but it's pretty much the same commandment that is found in Ephesians 5 for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And how does Jesus love? Jesus loves us sacrificially. His love is driven by grace, meaning that we don't deserve it. Um, Despite not deserving it, he still loves. Jesus' love is patient and kind, without envy or boastfulness. There's no ulterior motives. There's no, um, it's not an arrogant love. I love you because I'm better than you. It's not that. It's not rude. I love you so I have the right to treat you badly. It's not that. It's not a selfish love. I love you because you can help me. It's not that. And it's not resentful. You hurt me and I'm going to remember that. No. You hurt me and I'm going to forgive you and continue to love you. And you may look at this list and you may think, this is impossible. I can't live like that. I can't live up to that standard. And I would say, you're right. You can't do this on your own. You need the help of this community and you need to depend and rely on Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray.